welcome along to NUFC Matters. I've got two special guests today. Uh, every Saturday we always have Lee Clark. Hi, Lee. Hi, Steve. Okay, and, uh, Rob. And we've got Rob Lee today as well. How are we doing, Rob? Very well, thanks. Very well. Enjoying the sunshine down in the south. <laughs> oh, see, he's got to throw that in just because it's grim up here and misty and splashing down the rain. You know, I might be facing the cook. I might to try and get a tan. Lee, you must have Rosie in that cup. I haven't, Steve. You kind of drink Rosie. Even me not being there, uh, you know, connoisseur or anything, but even I've got to have a hot cup of tea the day with this weather we've got. If I had the weather Rob had, this, the Rosie would be getting smashed. You know that. <laughs> have you Bobby had Rose? Get off this Rosie, mate. The sun is out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rob, you like this one. I tell the, I tell the people who were coming on previously, Get yourself the Sainsbury's Rosier, uh, House Rosier Blush, Pinot Grigio Blush. It's only four and a half quid a bottle, mate. It's top class. And I know so, you I know you like uh, don't like spending the pennies, so that'll suit you yeah, down I, to the I, ground. Rosier, I drink as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, uh, four fifty a bottle. Classic. That's got, you're going to get a sponsorship deal at some point, Lee. That's going to be it, I think. Sainsbury's. Uh, come on, Sainsbury's, fill your boots. <laughs> right. Okay. We haven't really moved any any further forward with a takeover, Lee, uh, since since we last spoke. Um, you know, but I don't think that the silence is is anything to worry about. I think we're just you know we're moving towards the end game, aren't we? Yeah, I think that there hasn't been much being said this week and I think that's a lot to do with Amanda Stavely having the uh, the issues with the Barclays Bank in the High Court at the moment so other things to get on with plus the Premier League as we've talked about many times they'll be getting concerned with their project restart of the Premier League midweek and then going forward the, the first Newcastle game next weekend obviously but I just the couple of snippets I've seen Steve is that Mike Ashley's obviously starting to ask questions now what the hold up is so that's a good sign in terms of Newcastle fans. We know that he accepted the deposit and he wants the deal done. And sounds like he wants the deal done as quickly as possible. So it means that uh, he certainly has no interest in blocking the deal, which he has done in the past. So that era could hopefully be over and um, then the takeover can go from there. Yeah, I think, you know, the, it's interesting to hear about Mike Ashley apparently wanting to come, he's coming back and he's wanting the deal done. There was no direct quotes from, from him, but, but ultimately we've got, you know, you, you've got a newspaper report saying that he's coming back. Rob, you know, are you taking a positive out of that, that Mike, Mike Ashley is, is, you know, on his way back and wanting some things out? Yeah, you would hope so, wouldn't you? I mean, obviously, there's been no hurry, really, is there? There's been no football being played, so... Uh, and Man of State had a court case still going on. So, you know, there's no hurry. I don't think we should panic. I think this has probably got the furthest it's ever got with a, a takeover of Newcastle. You know what Newcastle's like. It's always a, there's always dramas going on. So, um, <laughs> it'll be soon. 100%, you're right. There is, there is always a drama going on. Have you seen anything of Amanda Stavely Lee um, in court? I mean, she's, she's cut a very impressive figure under pressure, to be fair. Yeah, apparently so. The, the bits and pieces I've seen on TV and in the media, she's fighting a really strong case in terms of, um, you know, trying to recoup this uh, 
lost commission money for bringing a certain deal to the to the table for them. So it just shows that she's a very very strong personality, strong businesswoman. You know, has all the right credentials to to be running. You know, a major football club, which if the takeover happens and you know what we're led to believe, what will be invested both in the infrastructure and in the squad. You know, the club can get back to being being a major football club, especially in a domestic game to start with, and then hopefully in Europe again. Rob, do you think you you will see Amanda Stavely be like the, the chairwoman? Do you think that's something that Newcastle will be looking at? She's obviously used to being in front of the camera and dealing with the media. Do you think it would be a, a refreshing change to have somebody like Amanda in charge? Yeah, I, I think why not? I mean, uh, she seems a very impressive person she, of what I've seen of her. So, yeah, let's let's have her let's have her the chairman. Long she uh, she communicates with the uh, with the the fans. I think that's what they haven't had much from their previous chairman. Um, you don't you know we've had no communication with Mike Ashley from for years and years and years. And when he does come out and say things, he says the wrong things. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, have, have her there as a as a chairwoman. Why not? I mean, it's um, to say she looks she looks pretty impressive. So yeah. I think that what will help Stephen Rob. I think. Uh, from a managerial point of view, you'll have a manager who'll just be fielding questions to the media about the football side from now on, yeah. rather than the financial side and what's going to be happening uh, in terms of amounts of money you're going to have to spend, or is there going to be any money to spend? You know, on a lesser uh, scale, I had that at Birmingham City when basically I was the spokesperson for the full club when the owner, um, you know, would lost his court case, all his assets were frozen, the club was in turmoil with embargoes and financial difficulties and very rarely spoke about the football team and about the players which were the most, with, alongside the fans, which are the most important people and you couldn't, you know, I'm there as the manager and that's what's been happening in Newcastle over the last, you know, decade or so. The managers hasn't really had to field a lot of questions about the football side of things, it's always been about the finance and potential takeovers and you know, is he going to be given any funds to operate in the summer or the winter transfer window? So hopefully this will happen and then there'll be someone like Rob says who, you know, speaks to the fans, communicates to the fans what's going on in terms of the, the football club itself. And then when the manager has to do his media work, he just talks about the football and, and that'll be a lot easier for them, whoever that manager may be, you know. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that, haven't we, Rob, where, you know, Steve McLaren... Alan Pardew, in particular, has just been doing everything, whether it's you know, welcoming players to the club, whether it's coming out and defending what the owners have done, changing the name of the stadium, whatever. You know, like Lee says, it's, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? You know, letting, the, letting the manager get on with the football. Yeah, I think if you ask any manager as well, that's all he wants to do. You know, if you ask Steve Bruce, if, if he's still there, he'd be delighted if he can just do the football side of it. And I mean, we're going to have so many things that need doing, you know, know the club well and it's not just the football side that's just one part of it it's the, the academy the academy is not great the, the training grounds probably it's nowhere near a Premier League training ground so all, all these things that need need to be uh, addressed can be addressed by her and then the manager just get on with hopefully buying players that suit Newcastle United yeah 
Getting on to the football side of things, there was a report in the Liverpool Echo League um, that the proposal to allow the Premier League sides to submit alterations to their current 25-man squad has been rejected by the clubs. Now, this hasn't been confirmed, but obviously that leaves us in a bit of a situation as far as one of our players is concerned. It means Newcastle won't be able to field Paul Dummett in any of the remaining games. Now, obviously, Paul was injured, and that's why he wasn't submitted to the, you know, the final 25. Now he's fully fit. Um, the same situation, of course, to a lesser extent, affects Savia, uh, Jamie Sterry, and Jack Colback. Um, but Dummett's the real concern. You know, I, you know, how do you think we'll cope without him? Well, when Paul's been fit, he's been always in the starting eleven. I think whether that's been at left back or left wing back or one of the left-sided centre back of a three. So, you know, that will be a big blow because, you know, when you're coming back and that, there's no way these players, Rob will tell you, in this period that they've had to get ready in football fitness terms, these players will not be 100% match ready. But the, the good thing is all these clubs are going to have the same issues. It's not as if other clubs have been able to train with a full group earlier than everyone else. They've all had the same time scale. And obviously, there's a talk about being able to use five substitutions. So you're going to need as many players as you possibly can for these remaining games because they're going to be played in a short period. And if you're losing one through administration situation, no fault of your own, um, it's going to be tough on, especially, as I said, when Paul's usually fit and available, he's in the start of the team. So that'll be a big blow to Stephen. And, and like we talked about, you know, there's possibilities of injuries already to the squad since they've come back from training. There was a report earlier in the week that there was up to five players. Now, they might just be little niggles and knocks where you don't uh, you don't use them for these training games, what they're having, and you keep them ready for the Premier League. But still, they're missing out. I mean, they've had a longer break than they usually do with pre-season in any way, especially the, the, the way the, the game goes now. They, they get a, probably minimum, a maximum of four to five weeks for their end-of-season break. They've had over eight weeks, possibly nine, ten. And then they've only got like a two to three week prep period with one or two friendly games. So it's like what you're saying in Germany, the, the intensity is not the same level as it was. So it's good. And, and you, you, you're risking the players picking up injuries as well. So you're going to need to use them five subs and have every player available for each game because if they're coming midweek weekend, it's a tough schedule. Good news, Rob, is that obviously Danny Rose and Lazaro, um, and we're led to believe as well, uh, Nabil Bentaleb have all you know, finally agreed uh, to have their loans extended, which means at least they'll be available because you know, with these games coming thick and fast, it, it's, you know, there is that risk, as Lee's saying, of, of, of injuries. Um, you know, we've essentially got, you know, it's almost like a double Christmas period. We've got to fit all of these games in into in a month, really. Uh, to, to get the season finished on time. Yeah, it's not necessary. You need as many players as possible. And, you know, we didn't mention, if somebody gets corona, then they have to go and self-isolate. They, they, they miss a week, at a week, maybe two. Um, so, I, I, th I think the Premier League have got to lapse that rule just, just to, for the end of this season. We're, we're playing so many games in a short space of time, uh, having no really pre-season. You're definitely 100% going to get injuries, especially some of our players who are... <laughs> Let's say I've got injury-prone. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's come on, Andy Carroll Nash. <laughs> um, ah, you're harsh, Steve. Yeah, well, I'm harsh, but I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realise he was injured again. But no, I'm well, that was 
Yeah, yeah. He, he was the name that stood out when I seen the report that these five players had picked up injuries. And Andy was uh, one of those names. And especially with the history that he's had in his final years, two or three fine, uh, last years at West Ham, yeah. since coming to us and starting a handful of games um, and picking up three or four uh, different injuries. That's the problem with Andy. It's not a repetitive injury. He seems to pick up a different new injury, uh, muscle injury as well. So, that, you know, tells you that he's, his body's not uh, accepting the, the, the pressure that's getting put under. So, if he, he's come back after this long period, gone back into full, full training, and I think they've even modified his training days as well to try and get him out on the pitch. And uh, he's, he's picked up another injury. Now, we could be going over the top. It might just be a whack or a contact he's had in training and they just, you know, not want to risk him. But it doesn't bode well. In his, his me and Rob keep saying that the, the short period of, for the games to be played and the, the, the type of and intensity the Premier League's usually played at, you know, it's going to be difficult not to pick up injury and certainly players like Andy who has that history of doing that. Rob, the situation with with Andy Carroll, Matty Longstaff, and, and Manquillo is is getting more complicated though, because on the first of July, they're free agents. So you know we could have a situation where you know the three of them you know, don't want to stay. So you know what what happens then? I think there's so many unanswered questions, Steve. That it's the same with the uh, you know my lads when the Elliot's at Luton and the Championship, they got they got Charlton players there and not refusing to play. There are going to be so many un unanswered questions. What I will say is, you know, a fit Andy Carroll, we, I think Newcastle need him desperately. 100%. We need him to score goals. And, and I think, you know, we have to manage him. We have to get him out there, I think. And it's, um, we have a lot, lot of games and I'm sure he, he'll, he won't play in, well, he definitely won't play in all of them. But it's an opportunity to play him for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes and, and try and get him as, as fit as we can because... You know, a fit Andy Carroll, I'd sign him again all day long. You would sign him. That's that's quite controversial. I've seen a lot of people talking about this on on, on Twitter, Rob. Um, you know, and, and I've, I've interviewed Gibbo and Superman this weekend. Both of them have said they, would, they wouldn't sign him. And I think what Gibbo had done was he'd written down like, the, the stats, you know, essentially the stats of goal scorers. And, of course, Andy hasn't scored this season. He's, he's, had, he's had opportunities, but he hasn't scored. And he said... You know, he's taken up a position in that squad, which which he felt was you know, unnecessary. He certainly wouldn't keep him on next season. But why would you keep him? Well, we've got Joe Linton up front who don't score goals. Yeah, good point. Good point. So, you wouldn't keep him either. What I did say, say a fit Andy Carroll. I, I, yeah. yeah. But, but if he's if he's fit, um, I I still, in my opinion, he's better than Joe Linton. That's that's what I think. That's my opinion. No, I agree with you. That, that's it. That's the key, Steve. The, the, the fitness of Andy is the key. Yeah. And I know, John, you've mentioned about Gibbo saying about his goals. It's not just what Andy does in terms of scoring himself. It's what he brings to other teams. I see, you know, there's been games where he's come on and it's been really flat. And I've been at St. James's and he's lifted the team, give them a different outlet. Almiron's enjoyed playing off him. Um, you know, St. Maxim's coming in off the line, playing off him because they know... The, you know, not just lumping balls up him. It's got to be quality where he can not just win the header, but direct it into runners. People breaking from midfield, uh, 
you know, getting the first header in when crosses are coming in and then it'll drop to other people. Yeah, of course, when you're an attacking player, you're judged on the goals you score. But I think Andy, over the years, has uh, changed things in the way he sees it. It's about being the team player and what he brings to the to the rest of the uh, to the rest of the uh, group. And you know, as Rob says, for me, a fit one. There's there's no one for his type of striker. There's there's no one better than him in the country. And certainly at Newcastle United, if he's fit, you, you have him on that team because what he does as well to the opposition, opposition, he frightens them because the centre halves know they're going to get something they don't usually get in the Premier League, and they're going to get bullied and they're going to be getting battered from first minute to last. And that's something you don't really see now in the Premier League. It's like a dying dying breed of a number nine because it's like the false nines the in thing at the moment or two smaller guys playing off each other. So Andy coming in the centre half thinking, wow, we're not used to this. Um, it, it allows the team to be be stronger. But as he said, he, he mentioned it, the key to resign them is, is the fitness key. If he doesn't play a high percentage of games from now and the season, I would imagine it would be very doubtful to justify how he does stay. Rob, how important um, you know, are the fans at St James's Park? The noise we often hear that it's like having a, a 12 man. Obviously, we're not going to have that. Now that's going to be—is that going to be a big issue, or do you think it'll help the likes of Joe Linton, who seems to, you know, seems to cave under the pressure? I mean, you know, what's your views on no, no fans? Well, I think it's be—I think it's be different. I think it's be difficult. Um, you know, it'd be very, very strange. I think. I think we've seen some strange results in the, in the Bundesliga, haven't we? Of, of home sort of advantage, sort of like goes a little bit out the window. I think maybe because um, the crowd does make a, a huge difference. A lot of the big clubs now you know it's a huge difference um, I was just saying to Elliot the other day going to, loot, going to Millwall now won't be uh, won't be that bad will it you know what I mean <laughs> 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 at least you, hey is an opposition manager there at least you'd go out of the game and your, your suit or your tracksuit wouldn't be covered in spit <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't need the dry cleaning on it straight away that's for sure yeah so listen, you're right John might find it easier for him, you know. He might we're, what we're hoping is actually there's no crowd there. And but I, I, to be fair, I, I think the Newcastle fans have been pretty good to him, really. I don't think they've given him too oh, much. Been really, really good to him. Someone who's cost you know forty million pounds, but it's not his fault that. And maybe someone who's who's like I said to you before, whoever's brought him, he's saying he's not a centre forward. Well, then I don't know what he is if he's not a centre forward. That's why I, I, I find strange, but. Listen, whatever helps him, if, if that helps him and he scores four or five goals and, and does well in the last nine or ten games, then, then great. You mentioned that earlier, Lee, about Andy Carroll, you know, giving the crowd a lift and that, that in turn lifts the team. I mean, you know, we're not going to have that. Is that going to be a big miss? Of course it is. And, you know, you get you get certain games where you're not really firing and it's, it's a... It's, it's a boring nil-nil, but then all of a sudden you produce something or you're one nil down and someone produces a bit of magic and it's back to one-one and you've got 10 minutes to go and the crowd get right behind you and they lift you and they drive you forward and they help you get that win that didn't look like you were going to get it. You haven't got that now. So you go like one down, you've got 10 minutes left and you get an equaliser. You haven't got that whole stadium then pushing in behind you to try and you know, force that winner, force errors from the opposition. And Rob mentioned it earlier about the Bundesliga. There was a stat, I think, last weekend. Um, over 60% of the way teams uh, won, won the fixtures last week in the Bundesliga. So, 
it's it, I mean I know a couple of the teams down the right in the relegation zones the Brightons of this world they wanted to still have the home and away games because they wanted the familiarity of playing in their stadiums but they're not going to really get that uh, help from the crowd as well so I think it, and, and as you've talked about players meet Robert back us up there's, there's players you play with are brilliant Monday to Friday then they get out on a Saturday and they've, they've, they've got to play under pressure at clubs where the expectation levels are huge and they can't do it and Joe Linton's had such a bad time he might need this where he knows if he has a bad touch or he or an attempted goal that goes high and wide or whatever, he misses a good chance. There's not going to be anyone criticising him from the stands. And he, uh, so he might need something like this. This could be the thing that changes for him. Uh, and I totally agree with Rob's what he said about it's not Joe Linton's fault, the price tag certainly isn't. No, no player puts the price tag on his head. But there's someone inside that football club who decided he was worth smashing the club transfer record for, not just smashing it, just obliterating it. And also, me and you've talked about this, giving him the number nine jersey, which was a crazy decision straight away. He should have used a different shirt initially. And uh, and, and whoever's thought, like, when they're coming out and saying he's, he's not a striker, well, he's certainly not a wide man, like they keep saying. Uh, he's definitely not that. So... You know, there has to be repercussions. But hopefully, you know, he comes good and he, uh, he, he, this little period has been a help for him. Well, he scored two goals in the two runouts that we had. I mean, you know, obviously Newcastle's scored against the B squad. He scored in that game. And then we played Middlesbrough um, in, a, in a behind closed doors friendly. And obviously, when we're 2-0 down, but we won 3-2 and he got the winner at the last minute. So he's, he's doing all right with no did, did, you, did, you see, did you see the goal? Did you see the goal on the on the official side? Yeah. Watch the watch Rob, if you haven't seen the goal, watch the goal on this side and slow it down. Do you know how he does the centre half when he's got his back to play? He miscontrols the ball. <laughs> and the centre half goes where he should be touching it and he let he misses it and he runs in and then he taps it in. And it was one of his sons who put it on and said, Dad, I even said on Twitter, a bit of Brazilian magic. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, clutching, clutching. Honestly, get it on and slow it down. And he miscontrols the ball and he sells him with a miscontrol. <laughs> but hey, that sometimes when you're in a bad run and you're a striker, that's what you need sometimes. You know, you, you hit a shot uh, and it's, it goes through the keeper's legs or something and it gets you up and running for the goals. Your confidence level comes back. That's, that's what everyone's hoping. It's fingers crossed because... If this period doesn't work out for him, it's 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 tough because if if it means that his career is going to be over quite quickly, and um, because if the new people come in, you would imagine that they'd be looking to them as attacking areas to improve. What how you, you're going to be giving them away because no one's going to be paying it anywhere near what was paid for him. Yeah, 100%. That's that's the big issue. Um, I thought I'd throw a curveball in for you today. I was looking through NUFC.com before we came on. And uh, one of your former teammates, lads, celebrating his birthday today. Do you know who it is? No. I'll give you a clue. He was German. We had one, didn't we? <laughs> no, I had two. <laughs> Did we? Did we? And this is the trick one, yeah, it's a trick question. Oh, Mark Ziegler, do you remember him? Ooh. Mark Ziegler. Nin Mark Ziegler? What, he read 1999, and he arrived... Oh, well, I wasn't, 
I you wasn't there then, Rob. You must know him. He must have been a good player. <laughs> he arrived on a week-long trial from Stuttgart, and he played two friendly games, Rob. Um, one against Celtic, which we lost 2-0. One against Stoke, which we won 2-1. Another one of Rude Hullett's tremendous attempts at uh, bringing a good goalkeeper to the club. As soon as you mentioned Rude Hullett, then obviously he ain't going to be a Oh, is it? That, that era has erased <laughs> from Rob's memory. <laughs> right, earlier on I went on Twitter and I asked, um, asked a few people to ping some questions in. Um, and we've got some, we've got some lined up. So, James12 uh, Graydon uh, says, Rob and Lee, who is the most underrated player that you've played with and against? So, Lee, we'll give that to you first. Wow, underrated. Um... Well, it's probably when you say things like that, it's probably the players who, in our team, were the defensive-minded players because it was all about the attacking side of our team and it was always about, you know, the, the, the nickname we got, the entertainers and the way we played the game and, you know, were exciting to watch. But obviously, people like Darren Peacock, who usually ended up just giving the goalkeeper at the back and that was it. The rest of the world just bombing forward and, uh, and that's the way the manager wanted it. So, or, or yeah, you know, um, Mark Hottager was a great lad and a good player, who you know, a strong character, but didn't get a lot of plaudits. He just got on with his job, um, and I think it's those types types of lads really, because you know, it, it, that era, all that people wanted to talk about was the attacking players that were in the team, the amount of chances we created in each game, the amount of goals we scored, uh, the exciting football we played. So, in in you know, the, there was that. Um, you know, wrong situation. I used to say we weren't very good at the back when, in fact, we probably had the second best defensive record in the league. It was just the fact that, you know, some of the, the infamous games at uh, Anfield for us were the ones that get highlighted, but not what we've done over the course of the season. I think during Kevin Keegan's era, we used to lose one game on average at home per season, which was a ridiculous record, really. Um, so those type of lads, really, for me, were were the players that were, were the ones who were underrated. Yeah, I think Scott Sellers as well, I think, was uh, vastly underrated. I think he done brilliant for us. Um, and then, unfortunately, David Ginola turned up, I think. <laughs> that was, that him, I, think. I think if you players at playing with Scott Sellers, I mean, he looks like, he, he don't look like a footballer, really. You know, look, he had a little pot belly and, and wasn't very... <laughs> he wasn't... Very quick, Could, had no no right foot whatsoever. It was just his standing foot, but he was just a you know on the ball. He was just a quality player. Could always see a pass and cross, done the right things at the right time. And I, I thought he was vastly under underrated, really. That that's a good shout. To be fair, he, he was. He was a good, another great lad in the group as well. But this Rob says all the, all the, what what when you look into same players, especially playing in that wide play position in a four that Scott did. The first thing he talked about Ozzy got pierced and he certainly didn't have it, but he was four or five passes ahead. I mean, I think I've seen footage from that Liverpool 3-0 game the other, a couple of days ago when Coley scored the hat-trick, I think. And Scott yeah. was on fire that day. I mean, it's some of the football that we played, but his final passes. And as Rob said, he was just unfortunate. And that's what happened with the lads. All of it became under pressure from our positions all the time because there was always another player coming in of a higher standard, so you had to raise your game. I mean, I always talk about the championship side that when we won the league and I was watching the, it was the anniversary of the Leicester game and I was watching that and 
Ned scored a hat-trick, David Kelly, but within a week he was being told he was surplus to requirements. He'd scored over 30 goals and it like, wow. And he was getting sold at the Wolves, I think it was, three quarter of a million and didn't get the chance to, to play. That's how ruthless the manager was, but he knew what he wanted. He obviously brought Peter back, Peter Beardsley, but it was just every time that a new signing come in, you knew you were under pressure. The standard of the training just went up. The standard of the performances went up and I think that's why we had you know, the era that we did, the level of performance you had to. If you didn't, you just went by the wayside if you weren't prepared to fight. Well, we, had, we had a lot of players, didn't we, in those United Nationals that actually couldn't even cope with the training, could they? We no. A few. Training was so intense and we, we trained exactly the way we played. Uh, it was a hugely high standard. Uh, lots of time we had thousands of people watching us as well. And, and some, some players just couldn't even cope with the training, let alone the playing on the, on the, on the field. They just they couldn't cope with the training. You know, I, I remember Barton saying to me, he'd been there about a week, and he said, Rob, he said, I haven't even touched the ball yet. It just takes you so long just the yeah. way we try. Yeah, absolutely. You have to adjust, otherwise, you, as I said, we had players there. I mean, remember Jason Drysdale? I played against Jason Drysdale when he was at Watford, left back. I was a right winger, and I thought, Good player, by the way. Strong, quick, like a good left foot. I mean, he came to our place and it, he honestly just got lost, totally lost yeah. in the... Didn't he? Steve Guppy, another one. Oh, I was just about to mention, Steve, he went on to play for England, but he was he's like a rabbit in the headlights. He came on the training pitch and he, he, couldn't, he couldn't match the intensity of how we trained. I've said this many times, Rob, when I've done these with Steve. We had that... Uh, like you said, we trained how we played, but we, even though we're good pals off the pitch, it was ferocious, the training as well. It was like head to head, you were, you know, we were good pals, but we knew we had to probably be better than our pal to get in the team and we're ready to do anything to get that position in the team. And so we weren't frightened to fall out with each other just to get the end result on a Saturday, but it never then got to personally because we would rather fall out with each other. It's three o'clock on a Saturday and then be happy as anything at five o'clock because we've won the game rather than not fall out with each other and we lose. Because like I said, we didn't lose a lot of games and when we did, it was a, a horrendous feeling. So that's what, we, that's what we had in we. We had a determination. We had great respect for one another, but we weren't frightened to uh, one, get stuck into each other in training in a competitive way, but also two, to, you know, to nail each other when, when we're in training or in a match day. And, and, and I think when you're brought up in that type of manner, it doesn't become a problem. It only becomes a problem if, if, you, if you take it personally. And what it never was, it was, there was never a personal attack in terms of when we're having to go at each other on a match day. It was to try and make it better and improve you if you, if, if you weren't having you know, what everyone expected. And the, the standards were so high. And, and Rob mentions the, the thing about the supporters, obviously, we had Maiden Castle, which was a council-based training ground. So on like Christmas holiday times, you, you could have up to 10,000 there. So you were getting judged by the fans in training as well. So you could never take your foot off the gas. Yeah, 100%. Um, technology's getting in the way again, lads. I've, I've noticed we've got five minutes left on this, um, on this Zoom call. So what I might do is we'll, we'll ask one more question. And I'll attempt to set the Zoom call up again so we can get the last half hour in. So, a quick one, really, for you both. Lee, what's, uh, what's your favourite goal that you scored? Well, always, for me, is, it, it's a difficult one because you always, as a local lad, and you've got the chance to play for your club, um, is the first one. But for me, when you score and you don't get a result, it doesn't really matter. And especially first goal, 
was with a header, which I kind of believe, to be honest with you. So, uh, so the, the first one that probably meant something was at St. James's would beat Hull 1-0, I think, towards the end of that season under Rosie. But then you, you just remember, you know, my, some of my favourite moments aren't particularly times when I've scored. It's been being part of the games and the games we've played in, you know, and we've, uh, when we've played some unbelievable football and you look back and you see the goals flashing up on you know certain aspects of the media and TV and that now and you see some of the one touch passing of the goals that we've done like talking about the seven one you know when we beat Leicester and they were in the playoffs and we'd already wrapped the league up you know and some of the goals were scored that day and the type of football against the team who was in the playoffs as well so make the play for the potentially strong team. We just blew them away. Then you think about, you know, we blew Tottenham away 7 1 at St. James's, um, you know, one of Kevin's last games. I mean, Tottenham were a top team then as well, and they just couldn't live with all these type of things. A Man United 5 0. And it's just that they're the types of things that stick in your mind. Is the goal's not a lot of, doesn't high up on my list. Not that because I, I probably didn't score that many, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> Peter Pork Pie Robson's question: What's your favourite goal you scored for Newcastle? Um, well, I, I, had a, I had a few really. I, I think everyone the fans remember is, is, the, is the Wembley one. But you know, as Nash says, we, we lost the game, but still, um, you know, it's a, to score at Wembley for, for all the times we played at Wembley for Newcastle, and, and as you all know, didn't, didn't, didn't play well and lost all of them. Um, and then just to, to score and see the fans, you know, the, the whole of the Wembley just light up in black and white was a, was a great experience. And, and my last goal against Man United, really, the last goal I scored for, um, for Newcastle again was a uh, we won that game. So, um, but there, there was, as, as Nash says, the memories of the football. You know, I, I, I often get asked, you know, would you would you swap it for a you know a Premier League winners medal? And I, I genuinely wouldn't swap the five years we had on the Kevin. The way we played football, and the way the way that we passed the ball, the team we had, the team spirit—I I genuinely wouldn't wouldn't swap it for that. I had most amazing five years, especially the first five years under Kevin. It was just amazing. So I've had a quick uh, technical break there, and uh, Lee, are you still drinking tea? No, I've gone on to the hard stuff. <laughs> this replaces the cans, doesn't it? <laughs> and Ed, Bex as well, if they want to give us a sponsorship. <laughs> I'm, trying me, I'm trying me plums off here to get deals uh, <laughs> Ian Armstrong uh, he sent the next question in he says um, he, he believes anyway and I mean just open the question whether you think you could have played together lads. he says he thinks that uh, Rob Lee Lee Clark and David Batty he thinks you should have all played together in midfield he says you all had different strengths and would have complemented each other Clarky's passing, Rob bursting forward and scoring, and Batty tackling. What do you make of that, Rob? Um, do you think that would have worked? Um, well, probably not the way we played, no, because we, we played two. <laughs> I think these days, I think it would have done if we'd have played um, three in there, definitely. Um, to say, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I, had, um, I loved playing with... with um, probably had the best spell when we were playing with Nash, when I was playing with Nash together. And he, we sort of like... Um, I came in from the right when Foxy arrived, and then... Um, and that's because he was such a good pass the ball. He he to uh, sit back in. Um, and he could, yeah, and and it, listen, I I think it, good players can play with with good players. You know, they always say that if you, you have good players together, you can play together. So um, it would definitely. But I mean, no, I I 
loved playing with Nash. I thought it was it was great to play with him. Um, we we did we did have a couple of occasions, Rob, uh, when we played. I played more on the right. I think uh, oh, yeah. I think Keith Keith Gillespie or or David might have been out injured, and we only had one really a uh, uh, winger. Rob was then seen. You know, was a central midfield player, and Kevin played. Actually, the seven-one Tottenham game was that game we we played, and because I didn't have any pace, I used to play narrow, and uh, so we basically were in the mid. I was in the middle of the pitch alongside Bats and Rob, and I think uh, that day we combined for for a few goals as well. You know, so we could do it. But as Rob says, the way the manager was. It was, uh, he always wanted two strikers. And, and the strikers we had at the club, it would have been scary if we didn't play two of them together. Um, so it was always going to be difficult. And it was, uh, that, that's, the pro- that's what we're talking about, you know, the competition for places. Peter could even drop back and then play, you know, as an attacking central midfield player uh, at certain times. So you have likes of himself and, and Rob Lee, Dave Batty. Peter Biazzi, these are the types of players that you are you are firing for for your positions. So, you know, there was those possibilities and we did do it together and, and be, we were successful at it. But, you know, Kevin wanted those those wide areas but, uh, where he wanted natural wide players in those positions. Certainly with Keith and David, two two different types of wingers. And then so it left it left just two places in the middle of the pitch. So um but what what that allowed was as well. You know, and because we had the motivation, if you did get left out, there was never any, uh, you know, yeah, of course you were angry and disappointed. But when you got that opportunity to go on the pitch, you had to, you had to try and take it and show the manager you were worthy of getting back in the team. And if there was ever a, someone had a loss of form or suspension or injury, there was no issues. You could come onto the pitch or you were coming on as a sub and you just continued the way the lads had been playing previously. So that, that was the key for it all. Yeah, 100%. Good stuff, good answer. And uh, next question comes from Mr. Liam. He says, um, Rob, he says, which of the lads who play in Newcastle's team today do you think could have made it into the entertainers' team? <laughs> Is that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody? I mean, would you. you I, I, bet I, I bet I down this in one. <laughs> Do you think do you think do you think there would be space for Almiron or a Saint Maximin in the team? No, no. I mean, I mean, possibly the goalie. Of what I've seen of the goalie, um, Ravka. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's been very very good. Um, you know, and uh, we had obviously Pavel and, and uh, Shaka and um, very very good goalkeepers, but. Um, it wasn't really. I don't. I don't think we had a world class one. Probably Shea came along, you know, a bit later on. So I would have thought um, he'd have a chance. But the rest of the, maybe I'm just um, I'm just biased. But um, genuinely, it's a different era, a different way of playing. And but the, the team we had, as, as Nash said, we had enough. We had enough players trying to get in who, who would walk into this team that we've got now. You know, players that, that would, wouldn't even get on our bench would walk into the team. I think. But again, it, it might, maybe it's me being biased or maybe remembering it all wrong. But I just think we had so many good players in. Same question, Lee. I got it. I'm in total agreement, and uh, I don't believe there's any bias in it. I've obviously seen a lot of the games over the last few years, and uh, you know, we, like Rob said, lads on the bench and lads who weren't even on the bench who getting the start in eleven today. 
And, and why is it easy to say that? Because it, it's easy to say that those lads, you know, we had a squad that played a lot of games. There wasn't players who just played a handful of games. They played a lot of games. And we were always challenging for the big prizes. We were always being competitive till the final week of the season. Um, and as I said, we, I think it's, it's five years Kevin had with, and I think we averaged five defeats in five seasons at St James's Park, which was phenomenal in the league. Um, so, uh, you know, we got used to, we delivered uh, what the fans demanded. They, 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 they wanted to see exciting football, but winning football as well. Because it wasn't all the time that we were exciting, we played off great football. It was times we had to really dig in and get a result. We could do that. We had players who could win us a game with a flash of brilliance. We weren't playing particularly well. Or we could go to town on teams and win four, five, six, seven. And so that, that was the difference. And yeah, without a doubt, uh, none of, I just, yeah, the, the goalkeeper, if you send Max and Mike, Get, get on the bench or he might make the, the weird trip now and then but he certainly wouldn't be threatening uh, the starting 11 or whatever um, just because he has a little bit of something that I think Kevin might have liked in his, in his wide players he can beat people and he can make a score goal so he possibly could be an outsider but there wouldn't be a lot of others Anthony Lewins has asked the two partner um, what I'll do is I'll ask you both this question again I will go through the team he wants to know uh, your best Newcastle United eleven made up of the players that you actually played. So we'll start with goalkeepers, Rob and Lee. We'll go with you first, Rob. Who would your goalkeeper be? Uh, my goalie, I think, would be Shea. I think yeah, I agree with that. Shea for me too. Okay, no problem. Back four then, presuming you're going with a four-four-two. You know, just to make it easier, I think, for ourselves. Four-four-two then, Lee. Who would your back four be? The back four, um, well, one of the centre-halves would definitely be Big Phil, Philippe, uh, probably alongside um, Steve Howie, because unfortunately, my second time back, I had to come back in the centre-half, uh, was John Allen Boomsong. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, I'd go with Boy, because obviously... Uh, during Euro 96 he was unfortunate that he picked up an injury in between a couple of the group games where I think he played a, a good part of that um, he right back obviously mentioned Hotterjab obviously had uh, Warren in there we had uh, Watto uh, Stephen Carr when I came back the second time was a very athletic footballer um, would probably be I'll probably go for my pal Watto at right back and uh, in, in, in Bezit left back. Okay. Or Barry Venison, obviously. Venas was very, very uh, he was he was very influential and he was very, very consistent. He would he would be at least never less than a seven out of ten week in, week out Venas and he was a good leader. So probably I probably go for Venas ahead of what I'll get a phone call about this, but I'll have to take that on the chin. <laughs> Rob, I'm exactly the same. I, I think the centre halves would be Billy, um, if we can call him a centre half, but um, best ball playing centre half I've ever seen. Um, Steve Howie, as, as Nash says, at the time, 1960, was as good as anybody. Um, I don't like putting him in, but Bez is probably in the left back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing, we're doing like, yeah, massaging his ego. <laughs> That massage, I'm telling you, bloody ego. Um, and then mention the name, you know, what, what I would 
Warren, I thought was both very, very good. But I, I, Venice would have been for me. He was the first really like proper leader that um, you know when I came to Newcastle, he was a proper leader of men. You know, um, so I'd, I'd probably pick Venice. Proper character as well, Venice, absolute character. Um, his other question, Anthony, the second part is: Who was the better finisher, Andy Cole or Alan Shearer? Please. Well, the, the, the stats to tell you who is he's the best in the business, bar none, Alan. But Cole, he wasn't too far behind. That's what I was saying about the type of strikers we're playing. Les, Les wasn't too far behind. Peter wasn't too far behind. Ned had a, David Kelly had a brilliant goal scoring record. Tino was a terrific footballer. You know, it's ridiculous the strikers we had to play with in that era. The quality Paul Kitson come and done a, a, a strong job for us as well, you know. Um, so that, but you know the, the the stats that Alan has, that they don't lie. He's, he's head and shoulders above anything. He's he's the the best number nine the club's ever had. He's the greatest number nine in the Premier League. So you you know you're not going to say someone else is a better finisher. Can, and like like we keep talking about, we keep repeating this. He practices finishing like he did on a on a match day as well. He didn't try and do anything cocky on a on a in a shooting practice or whatever. You know, he was putting his foot through the ball with ridiculous amounts of power, and that, and he, he practiced how he played it as well, and that's how he it paid off for him. Yeah, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't see Alan play midfield in any of our practice games, would you, Nash? No, I, I remember one day. I remember one day, Rob. I remember one day asking him to drop down and drop on the deep lying midfield player. You can imagine what the response was there, can't you? Use nuggets, just get the ball in the box, and I'll score. <laughs> Brilliant. I ran back towards my own goal with my tail between my legs. <laughs> um, Chris Cooper. He asks uh, both of you how much you both think you would be worth in today's market, Rob. <laughs> God, I've got, I've got no, I've got no idea, no idea. Market's gone mad. I mean, I, I, I think this, um, I think what this coronavirus has, 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 for me, has shown everyone that the, the market's mad. There's, there has to be something done about it. Players worth, you know, hundred million pounds is is totally unsustainable to um, to clubs. We, we're, we're looking at clubs. Lower league clubs, almost, well, I think some will go out of business. And you're talking about players worth £100 million. It's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, it's madness. You know, we mentioned before, Jolly Linton, £40 million. I mean, who comes up with these, these, these prices for these players? And, and, and I, I just find it amazing. You know, even for area, the you know, 1.75, I think, Coley cost us. Um, you know, sold him for seven million quid, and Les was six million pounds. I mean, it's lunacy, lunacy. What Alan Shearer, you know, worth two hundred million quid? I, I don't know. It's, it's um... well, I'll put it this way: a new, there'd be a, a high number of our squad that would be in the top ten transfers in the world in today's market, in my opinion, because we had some of the best players in their positions in the business and improved that both domestically and in Europe in club competitions but also on the international stage and as Rob said you know you see you, you had a spell and what this probably hopefully this Covid's done it's brought the game back down to earth with a bit of reality because the clubs won't have the spending power but you are getting some average players uh, going for astronomical fees 
but that was the market that the, the game's gone into. So you look back, <clears throat> I've got a picture, I think you might have sent us it, and there's a picture on the training ground. There was me, Rob, uh, Watto, David Ginola, Pav, Peter Biazzi, Les Ferdinand, and Alan on the training ground. It, uh, we must have been doing one of our uh, warm-up running games. And uh, someone said to us, put a value on those players in the picture. And it would it'd be ridiculous if the, the, the costs of uh, if, if, if those type of players now. Um, and what they were doing, they delivered on a consistent basis. So you, you could have been talking anything from half a billion to a billion pound in today's market and today's world, which might, people might think, shut up that. But when you look at what players in the, who played in them similar positions are going for, have gone for in the last year or two, it's got to be a, a, a realistic shout that, that those figures should be, you know, for that group. It's difficult to put a put a price. When you think, you know, I know the world's changed, but we just talked about him being the best in the, you know, one of the best in the world at what he does, if not the best Allen in his era. Um, costing 15 million and at the moment, we've got a striker who's cost more than double that, um, who who's really, really struggling. And that should, that's a, a barometer of where we are in to, today's world. So it's safe to say you'd both be worth at least 41 million each then? <laughs> let, let someone else, let us see, those players never put the price tag on my head. I, I tried, Chris Cooper, I tried, but they wouldn't answer. If I, if, I say, if I say I'm worth 41 million, get a few more of their becks down me next, I'll be 250 million by the end of it. <laughs> Uh, David Harrison, he says, Newcastle United has been linked with so many of the world's top players, but I would prefer a slow build under new owners. I would prefer upgraded facilities, building a team with young talent. What are your thoughts? I think you're, I think you're spot on. Um, I think that we, we, we need that. I, um, I've always said, Steve, it's, it's getting the right play. What Kevin was very, very good at was getting the right players to come to Newcastle and play for Newcastle. Because we had, we had a squad when we was the um, so-called entertainers that everybody wanted to be there. Everybody enjoyed living in Newcastle. Um, and I think what we've had recently is players maybe coming for the money, maybe coming because it's a Premier League club, but not really realising what Newcastle is, where it is. Um, and, I, and I think we need somebody... There's plenty of young, good players out there you know, like who, who could who have possibility of playing for Newcastle. I, I would like to see us buy some young players. Uh, as well as buying players that can obviously want to, but it's, it's it has to be players that want to play there. You understand what I'm, I'm starting to say there? It's yeah, yeah. Don't want to be there, unfortunately. And our era, we, everyone, I mean, I, I you know, I'm a Cockney. I stayed ten years because I loved it there. That's and I, and I don't think you, if play, if we bring players in on big money, they talk about Coutinho. Would Coutinho want to live in Newcastle? Will he? Will he actually get the Newcastle? I'm not so sure. You know. Yeah, Lee, same question to you. Totally in agreement with what Rob's saying, you know. I just think that um, I've said this many times, haven't I, that, that there has to be a certain type of player brought in initially. Because you're not going to... I know the finances might be there to try and convince the elite group of players, but we're not going to get them because the elite group of players want to be playing in the top competitions, i.e. the Champions League. So you have to build the club up. You have to get the club competing in those positions in the Premier League to get the club back into Europe to be challenging uh, domestically for the, the, the cup competitions and also the, the title, if not winning it. 
and uh, you know you get a certain then when you get to those levels you can go for the elite but you also know with me being a parent of a young player in the academy that the infrastructure is massive for me the academy the facilities are embarrassing the first team training center is embarrassing for the era we're in we're nowhere near the 21st century with the facilities to think i retired playing 15 years ago 14 years ago and the facilities haven't changed i've had a lick of paint and some new pictures put up the infrastructure is going to be just as big as the uh is the, uh, the investment in the squad because the top players want to have the best facilities and if we're going to rely on the academy is get again we've got to have a, an academy that's going to attract if you're going to be competing against the big clubs in in liverpool and manchester and in london to get the best talent you've got to give them incentives you've got to bring them to a lovely luxurious train facility i go around the country with my son and some of the facilities are phenomenal and, and what's the saddest thing about it at the moment is Newcastle United and out of the three big clubs, yeah, Sunderland and Middlesbrough, have the worst training facilities out of all three, certainly for the academy. And now that's not right and it shouldn't be like that. So like Rob says, the infrastructure and the team, the slow build, you know, the example was the, what Kevin used to do. I know the windows were different because there was no transfer windows such so you could sign anyone up until March. But what he'd done is continue to improve the squad, improve the squad for whatever level we were playing at. Uh, did those players fit into his system? Did they fit into the group? All the players that came in during our era loved loved living there. Yeah. The link of pit you're talking about, the training ground was actually done by Rafa as well in 2016 or something or 2017. So was they, they even had Rafa paint in the training ground. Well, like, no wonder he quit. He arrived, he, arrived, he arrived at the club, was that disgusted at the state of the actual training ground that he actually started making the arrangements himself? The players couldn't believe it, he was standing doing the own, his own decorating. Absolute, absolute classic. Uh, Brian Cruz says, um, do either of you think that Kevin Keegan's tinkering with the team at a vital time costs the title in that season? Rob? Um... Uh, no, I, I think there's a lot of things that, that, that cost the title, really. But I, I, I think, as, as we mentioned a little while, and Nash mentioned it, 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 I think some of the time he was trying to get all the players, you know, all his attacking players into the team. Uh, and sometimes he couldn't quite get them. So he'd move Peter Beersy, he'd move myself, he'd try and get Nash in, he'd try and get Tino in, he'd try and get so many players that he wanted to play. And, um, you know... We had, and, and we keep saying we had so many quality players, and I think that was a bit of a, a downfall, really, if it can be, that, that it, we just couldn't play them all. And I think Kevin wanted to try and play them all sometimes, and uh, we loved the attacking football and, and the way that we played. But I, 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 listen, people were to say to me, oh, well, if we, we'd have sort of like been more defensive, we, we couldn't, we didn't have them players. We had attacking players, our fullbacks were attacking, our, our, you know, Philip Albert was most attacking centre half there is in history I think and so everybody attacked and we, we couldn't have um, you know someone asked me the other day you know Nash talking about we lost one game a year at, at St James's Park I don't remember too many nil-nils I don't remember being involved in nil-nils yeah. when Kevin yeah you know being told run it in the corner you know just keep, Kevin never let us run it in the corner would he he'd <laughs> <laughs> take you uh, absolutely same question for you uh, Lee do you agree with Rob no, listen, it's it's a very, very difficult one, you know, and, and especially I've dipped my toe into management as well. Like Rob says, you've got so many good players. You get a little bit of an indifferent result and you want to freshen the team up. You want to do things a bit, you know, not in terms of the formation. That never changed for Kevin. 
not in terms of the freedom, the belief he had in the players. Um, but you, you know, you sometimes look in and you think, can I, can I freshen it up? And like I said, you, you could, you, you were always thinking that the lads who weren't in the current eleven wouldn't, uh, you know, make the team weaker if you changed it, or if you made a substitution early in the game, you weren't weakening the team, you weren't putting an inferior player onto the pitch, you were putting a player who who'd done the business before on many occasions. Um, so I think as a manager, it becomes a difficult one, and especially when you're getting so close. I think it was just the fact that uh, there was many different things. Uh, you know, you could say the tinkering of the team. Manchester United had more players with experience of winning the title, knew how to get the job done. Um, you know, and that could cost us. Um, as Rob said, we're never going to change our ways. The manager would have never changed his ways, no matter what. Um, in terms of you know, defensive, as I've said, and I, I never say this as a criticism. I say this because of the quality of the management, but the quality of the players. We never spoke about an opponent ever. We never got a match report on an opponent or watched any footage on on an opponent because he thought you are the best players in the country in your position. Go and go and prove it and go and win the game. We never practiced a set play for or against because he had players who could deliver a set play. What he had. People who were leaders, we could organise ourselves. You know, Derek Fazakli would give a, a remit in terms of positions where we needed to be for set players against. But we used to drag each other about and get it done quickly. You know, there's no excuse making, and we, we just delivered like that. And uh, I think nowadays, sometimes the people get over coaches. Coaches want to overcomplicate things for players rather than just give them their head and let them play. And, and you know, you spend more time. I've done it myself. You end up spending more time on the opposition than you do your team, and just getting getting your players to play to their best. Yeah, Sean Paul will give him the last question of Twitter. He says, uh, "Money's no issue. Buying spree. Five players you would love to sign." Rob, we'll start with you. Money's uh, no well, money's no issue. Uh, Harry Kane. Get us, a, get us a proper number nine, with, with, which Newcastle fans love. Uh, I, I think your, your team, if you've got somebody who can score goals, you've always got a chance. Always got a chance to win the game. So he would be my first sign. Yeah. I'd, I'd go for, uh, I, I want to get the Spain of the team sorted. So I'd go for one of the keepers, Alisson or uh, Edison at Man City or Liverpool. Get one of them sorted. Not only are the top keepers, they're like quarterbacks, by the way. They can hit 70 yards straight on someone's foot. I've seen that Edison once. I was in Man City v Everton. He put Sergio Aguero through with an 80-yard ping cross-fielder. He went through. I couldn't believe it. So, you're not just getting a top keeper. You're getting someone who's going to start the attack, so you. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Lee, I want to ask you, because I know you keep your finger on the pulse, especially with the, the youngsters at Newcastle. Um, just a story that just come out in the athletics today. Uh, forward Tom Allen, who is this, I think he's a six foot seven inch lad, if I remember rightly. Um, a lot of the under 23 players, including Jack Young, Elliot Anderson, goalkeeper Dan Langley, and defender Lewis Katz, um, they're all players who've been put on standby with, um, you know, with you know, the potential of injuries. Obviously, could potentially lose players, etc. Like to start the show. I mean, is any of those players you think we should look out for? Any of them who you think will make the grade? Well, Tom's already had an opportunity, hasn't he? He's had it in the cup and in, in a couple of uh, substitute appearances later on in the league. And I think I think Steve's already showed that he's a manager who isn't afraid to give the youngsters an opportunity. There uh, with young Matty, 
Marty Longstaff early part of the season. So, and and yeah, those five or six players might get a chance because of this. It's like a mini World Cup, isn't it? The the games in a short period of time, as we're saying, pick up injuries. Uh, it, it, if you have this problem with Dummett, you know the squad's going to get depleted. And this is the chance that they crave the local lads that they want to go and live the dream that all us local lads, when we get the chance to play for the club, that's what you're basically doing. So then the opportunities with them, they know that the manager won't have any qualms about sticking them in ahead of senior players if he thinks they're better than them. And this is where they've got to grasp that opportunity, really. Um, so, yeah, it could, it could be positive for them. Um, and, and if they do it, you know, they, they won't have a better feeling if they've, you know, been supporters of the club and they get that chance to play. The only problem they'll have is they're not stepping out into a full St James's Park, unfortunately, but they're still getting the opportunity to represent the club in the Premier League. Yeah, Rob, I mean, it'll be good to see some more Geordie talent coming through, won't it? I mean, I know we're talking about the which essentially is going to make one of the richest clubs in the world, if not the richest, but Geordie talent coming through is still very important for Newcastle United. Yeah, listen, I, I, I mentioned it many times, mate. When, when, I, when I got to the club, you know, we had Nash coming through, Steve Howie, Robbie Elliott, Steve Watson, Alan Thompson. And I've said for many, many years, you know, Andy Carroll's come through and, and showed on a few others you can mention. But for a club the size of Newcastle, you know, there certainly should be more players coming through. And that's, that's the infrastructure of the club that we've got to work on again. You know, that's, that's what the, the new owners that come in have got to do. They've got to get back to trying to get players, young players, local players that actually can break through and, and, and get, into the, get into the first team, you know. And that's, um, it's, I mean, I remember, I remember Sir John Hall's quote many, many years ago when we first had the, in, in the end of time. We had a team of Englishmen, uh, or Britishmen it was, it was a team of UK. And I remember him kind of, oh, this is brilliant. Like, there's no foreign players here. And he came out and said, oh, I can't wait till we've got 11 Geordies in the team, he said. <laughs> I, but he, cla he classed you as an adopted Geordie, so that was the one about seven, including you. Then I, I thought, I thought cheeky sort of all. Come come up. <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably on one of their drinking sessions with uh, Doug Ellis at the time. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that was his dream. He wanted, I think that's every Geordie's dream, isn't it? That Geordies want to play for Newcastle, and, and the more the more they have, the you certainly know that they'll, they'll work hard and they'll, they'll give their all for the club, which uh, some players haven't over the years. Great stuff, lads. Well, the clock's beaten with. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you both on at the same time. And I'm sure, you know, if you're up there, we can maybe get back on next week together and look ahead to our first game of the, the Project Restart. I'll bring the rose out next week, Nash. Great, Rob. Bring the good stuff, the four and a half quid. We'll share it. I'm going straight to the <laughs> Great to speak to you. Speak to you later. Have a good week, lads. See you next you week. You too. Bye. Bye.